the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost. Grant that by the gift of this same Spirit we may always be truly wise, and ever rejoice in his consolation, through Christ our Lord. Amen. O Mary, conceive without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to thee. O Mary, conceive without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to thee. O Mary, conceive without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to thee. Saint Francis de Sales. Pray for us. Saint Thomas Aquinas. Pray for us. Saint Benedict. Pray for us. Saint Teresa of the Child Jesus. Pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we travel so far, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. You know, ever since I was a kid, I was always mesmerized by this image of the three kings following a brilliant star. It's one of, I think, the most extraordinary chapters of the gospel, a chapter which contains many lessons for us here today. And some time ago, when I'd asked you for suggestions about these uh, society conferences, the conferences which we have uh, uh, three or four times throughout the year, asked you um, for some feedback, and someone asked, well, could you give a conference on meditation and contemplation? Are they one and the same, or is there a difference? Um, how should we meditate, and what is contemplation? So today, using the image of the Magi following the star, we can come to a, uh, a deeper understanding of meditation and contemplation for the benefit of our spiritual life in Christ. <clears throat> so at this high time of the year, uh, for us to think about meditation and contemplation, let's start by looking at the collect from the Mass of the Epiphany. So in that collect from January 6th, we pray that, O God, who by the guide of a star did show thy son to the Gentiles. Okay, so by the guide, we have a guide, a star. Okay, so that's, that's what the, the Magi saw at the Feast of the Epiphany. Mercifully grant that we who know thee now by faith may be brought to the contemplation of thy beauty. So that we who know thee now by faith, so knowledge by faith. I kind of lost the habit of writing on the board because I don't get to, don't get to teach class anymore. But we come to the contemplation, the contemplation of thy beauty, right? Of God's beauty, divine beauty. Okay. So the star, this image of the star, means something for us. Uh, first of all, um, that we should come to know God more by knowledge, knowledge by faith, and the contemplation of God's divine beauty. So we find uh, these elements in this prayer. Now, like the Magi kings who journeyed to Bethlehem to see the Christ child, we also, we are on a journey through life to heaven, to the beatific vision of the same Christ. Remember in heaven, 
we will contemplate God face to face. There will be this vision, this intuitive vision of seeing God in his very essence. Now, our journey toward heaven began on the day of our baptism. And on that blessed day, our soul uh, first saw the lights of the star of Bethlehem. That star pointing to heaven, the goal and destination of our life. So what the star was to the Magi, faith is to us. What the star is to the Magi, faith is to us. And that faith began when when we received it on the day of our baptism. Faith is meant to be a guiding light, a light which shows us the right path amid a world which is darkened because of original sin. So the guiding light of faith includes sacred scripture and tradition, uh, the teachings of the church, which interpret scripture and tradition for us, uh, the spiritual doctrine of the saints. And we are gathered here today because we are all seeking a devout life. We want the light of faith uh, more brightly in our lives. And so we feel called to do a little bit more than merely to just follow the commandments and fulfill the duties of our state of life. We want to do it in a, uh, in a deeper way, in a more uh, prompt way. We want to do it in a devout way. And so today we will reflect on the special exercise which helps us beginners to grow in faith. And that is the prayer of meditation. Or sometimes it's called mental prayer. Mental prayer. So meditation itself is not essential for salvation. However, meditation is one of the most effective means of assuring one's salvation. One who is faithful to regular meditation cannot be dominated by sin. But regular meditation leads us to the more frequent practice of virtue to obtaining greater merit. So meditation, not essential for salvation, but it's one of the most effective means of securing it. And we're going to see that really effectively, meditation is this knowledge by faith. This knowledge by faith. So the classic text for understanding meditation is in the Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. It's in uh, part one. Part one, St. Francis Sales really takes his time to introduce us all to this step-by-step what meditation is. And he gives us some ready-made meditations. He kind of did the work for us. There's about 12 meditations in there uh, that that are ready-made and kind of give us uh, training wheels, as it were, for how to meditate. I printed one out for you and passed it out. Uh, Perhaps you've seen it before, but just to kind of give you a a little visual aid uh, to seeing uh, uh, his method there for meditation. So meditation is, we could say, an act of our understanding. Remember that as human beings, we share, we were made in the image and likeness of God. So that means fundamentally that we share in two of God's perfections. We share in God's uh, knowledge, right? God's knowledge. So we have an intellect to know God, an intellect for knowing And we have a will for loving. For loving the good that we know. So these are these are actually these are God-given faculties that separate us from the rest of all creation here on earth. And it's our mind and our will that, that reflect God. And the participations 
You know, our knowledge is a participation in God's own uh, infinite knowledge. Our love, uh, when we love, is a participation in God's own infinite love. Remember, God is love. So, um, in meditation, we are, first of all, uh, it's an act of our understanding, of our intellect, by which our mind works to make intellectual considerations. We try to know something more, right? We try to deepen our knowledge by faith when we meditate. And the purpose of that intellectual, it's not just intellectualism, but it's meant to move our hearts to uh, excite the affections of our will for God and divine things. So the idea of this knowledge by faith is for us to grow ultimately in charity. Remember, St. Paul says that faith without works is dead. So faith without love is um, it's a, it's a, um, a diminished form of love. It's not really true love. True, uh, true, uh, true, faith, true faith implies um, charity. They go hand in hand. And without charity, our faith is weak, and, and, and we can ultimately lose it. So faith really, uh, in its full form, implies love. Right? The love of charity. They go hand in hand. Remember, St. Paul says the greatest, faith, hope, and charity... These remain, but the greatest is charity. So ultimately, the knowledge by faith is meant for us to love God and to show that love in our words, actions, in, uh, in our virtues. So if you look on your sheet there, um, we talked about the intellect. You see the, you have the, uh, the preparation for meditation. Then you have the considerations of the intellect. So that's putting your mind to work. You know, all those gears up there you got inside your brain. It's getting them all turning, getting them all working there. Uh, considerations of the intellect. Sometimes uh, some spiritual authors call them reasonings or um, reasonings, considerations, reflections of the mind. And then on the back, you see the next part is the affections or, and resolutions, the affections of the will, right? The affections being an expression of love. And love calling us to do something to show that love, which is a resolution. Right? To act, to become a better person, to act in a better way. So those are the two hinges, if you like, of meditation. It's first The first hinge being the considerations of the intellect, and then the affections of the will. The affections of the will, so that we love God. Now, for beginners, meditation is a step-by-step process. Right? Let's consider stargazing. For example, the Magi looked more and more up to the star when it caught their attention. They wanted to learn more about it. We can imagine that they must have tried to detect uh, the color shade of its light. Um, perhaps they tried to calculate its distance from the Earth, uh, the speed of the movement of that star in comparison with the other stars in the night sky. Uh, the Magi, we can imagine they must have searched manuscripts to look for information and prophecies about the star. The more they examined this star, the more their minds were filled in wonderment about this star. So in mental prayer, the mind is meditating on a subject with the aid of the imagination and of reasoning. And sometimes a book can help to get our mind going. And these considerations of our mind deepen our convictions about God's truth. 
our minds are filled with wonderment the more we learn about God. So that's what's going on in this first part of meditation. Our mind is working there. We're thinking more about God in detail. Maybe we're using a book. And so um, we're able to pick up, uh, to glean out of that book some, um, some points about God that we didn't know before or that uh, we come to know now in a deeper way. So it's food for our mind, food for our mind. But then in the human person, knowledge leads to love. So having learned more details about that star, we can imagine how the Magi realized how very special this star was. So much so that their hearts were moved to love the creator who would make such wonderful works of creation as this beautiful star. And that love prompted them not to think anymore about themselves or their own personal interests, but they only wanted to follow that star in order to be united with the divinity symbolized by that star. And so the beauty of that star and all of its many details, which they came to see and study and examine and understand, that beauty moved them to love. And love moved them to take on that long journey to see the Christ child. So meditation, as St. Francis Sills describes it, our understanding moves us to affections. Affections meaning that our hearts speak to God in words of love, words of gratitude, words of sorrow for sin, words of repentance, a firm amendment to avoid sin and to practice virtue. So once we know something about God, more that we want to, we want to talk to him about it. You know, my God, how wonderful you are because... Um, you are all merciful. You are so good. You have given me so many gifts. So after we kind of briefly consider God, then we talk to him about those considerations. We speak to God heart to heart, right? In words of love, words of thanksgiving, different formulas there. And then those willful affections of our heart lead us to a practical resolution, we want to practice this or that virtue in this or that circumstance. So we make that resolution, and then we end the meditation with an act of thanksgiving, uh, with an offering of self. We ask God to help us by his grace so that we can put into practice the resolution which he has inspired us. And uh, this is all uh, outlined uh, here on this, on this sheet in this sample meditation of St. Francis de Sales. The beginning of the considerations, we consider the material gifts God has given to us. Our body, our health, and so on. We consider the, the mental gifts he's given to us. We consider his spiritual gifts he's given to us. So we think about all these gifts. We count our blessings in our mind. Those are the considerations of the intellect. We really take time to think it out. Get all those good get all those gears going at once in our mind and really spell out in detail all those many things um, that God has given to us. You, know, might, you, you could even spend five, ten minutes. You could spend a lifetime on it. Mm -hmm. But you think you know, five or ten minutes may be about that as your heart feels inspired. And then, on the reverse side of the sheet, we come to the affections. Thinking about all of God's gifts then moves us, first of all, number one, to marvel at God's goodness. How good he has been to me. How abundant in mercy and plenteous in loving kindness. But me, number two, I've been so ungrateful. 
What am I, Lord, that thou rememberest me? How unworthy am I? I've trod thy mercies underfoot. I have abused thy grace. Number three, third affection. Then we kindle our gratitude. O my soul, be no more so faithless and disloyal to thy mighty benefactor. Right, so speak words of gratitude to God. Then number four, go on to make a resolution. Go on to refrain from this or that material indulgence. Let your body be wholly the servant of God, who has done so much for it. Let your soul to seek him by this or that devout practice suitable. So we come to a very practical way of showing gratitude to God. I'm going to tell so-and-so thank you because too often I take that person for granted. Or because I'm grateful, I'm going to offer God a little sacrifice. Or because God has been so patient with me, in spite of my ingratitude over the years, I'm going to be more patient with such and such a person. So make a very practical resolution and ask God then in the conclusion for the help you need to put that resolution into practice so that you can live that gratitude that you've been reflecting on during your meditation. So that's, that's the formula St. Francis de Sales proposes to us of meditation. Now, it's important to remember that the best part of mental prayer, kind of the heart and soul of this meditation, it's not so much in the mind, but it's in the will. Because remember, meditation is supposed to lead us to love. So, and the will is that power by which we can love and we can choose to lead better lives because of that love. So, meditation is not a self-centered exercise. It's not just merely, you know, having a sermon going on in your head. All right? It's not just kind of merely thinking um, like that. But really, the heart, the meat of the meditation is speaking to God about those things we know about him. It's talking to the Lord. It's, it, it's awakening. Um, it's kind of like a fire. You know, when you have a little fire there, a little campfire or a little, like, in your fireplace, you got to get the bellows going. you got to, you know, kind of... Uh, Shake the wind there so that the wind can kind of inflame uh, that, that little flame and make it into a big fire. So um, that's really what the affections are uh, during the meditation. It's the, really the heart, really speaking to the Lord in words of love. That's really what meditation is about. So it's not just merely considerations in our head. It's not just taking complacency in merely human reasoning. But we have to be rather like the Magi Kings. Remember that the Magi kings, in going on the journey to the Christ child, they did not go empty-handed, but they brought with them gifts, gifts to offer up. So meditation is the opportunity for us to, to give to God, and to give to God while lifting up to him our minds and our hearts. Remember that the Magi gave the gift of frankincense as a sign of their belief in the divinity of Christ. So also meditation, we are spiritually giving frankincense to the Lord. We are adoring him with the humility of loving hearts. This God whom we come to know better through the intellectual points of the meditation. Remember that adoration is the key, right? So meditation is not just merely something for us. It's not just something just to sanctify ourselves either. It's higher than that. It's, it's meant, first of all, to adore the Lord. To adore the Lord. That's really the first goal of meditation. That's what frankincense is. 
And ultimately, by sanctifying ourselves, we're not just seeking to do it for our own personal reasons, but we sanctify ourselves because that's God's will for us. He said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So adoration. Then the Magi gave the gift of gold. Gold, the most precious of all metals. So also do we give to God in meditation the finest words of love. And that's why we should try not to cut down our meditation. We should really try to go to the full allotted time, whether it's, you know, maybe 15 minutes or half an hour, what we feel called that we can do. But once we've begun it, let's set a time limit for ourselves. Say, okay, I'm going to go all the way, those, those full 15 minutes. We go all the way that full half hour. And don't give up. Don't give up. Because otherwise you cheat the Lord of his gold. You don't give him. Right, all the love, um, all the time that you know, meditation and prayer that he uh, that he deserves. So um, keep that in mind. Those minutes of meditation, those words are worth their weight in gold to the Lord. He wants them. He wants to receive them from us. And as we said, love also moves us to promise to keep a good resolution, however difficult. Remember that gold needs to be purified, purified in the fire. It's a constant scriptural uh, image. Gold is purified in the fire. So also do we, in meditation, we propose a resolution to show our love of God in good words and virtuous actions so that our love becomes purified. It becomes more perfect and more pleasing to God. So, love. Love is the gold. And then we have the myrrh. Ooh, that's the hard one. That, that's the hard one, right? The myrrh, that bitter spice which is used for embalming. Myrrh. So the Magi gave the gift of myrrh in foresight of the burial of the Savior. The Savior who would suffer and die for the salvation of humanity. So also should we offer up to God in our prayer um, our own sufferings. So in your meditation... Um, speak to the Lord about what makes you suffer. You know, talk to him about it. Bring your suffering to him. Too often we keep our suffering always in our mind. We're always thinking about it. You know, we get anxious about it. It kind of, you know, it's that little hamster. It just keeps, you know, going inside of us. <laughs> but we need, to, um, we need to take the sufferings, okay, not just up here, but bring them to the Lord in prayer. You know, give them, you know, in this coffer, this coffer like with the myrrh. Put them in that bowl and give them to the Lord there in meditation. And tell them that you are uniting the headaches and the heartaches of that day. You're uniting all of them together with this prayer of your meditation. And along with this prayer, you can also offer up um, some sufferings that you willingly take on. That is, you can make sacrifices, um, acts of mortification, um, such as fasting, for example. Remember that Christ said that some demons are only overcome by prayer joined with fasting. Of course, we can fast from food or drink. We can also fast with our hearing. We can fast from our ears from music, for example, like we do during uh, Lent and Advent, during the liturgy. There's no organ, for example. Um, so we can fast with our hearing. Right? We can have some silence in the car, maybe, instead of uh, listening to things all the time. Or we can fast with our eyes from entertainment, for example entertainment that's legitimate. We can fast from that. So there are, um, St. Francis Sales encourages that our fasting be universal in a sense. Uh, so 
But of course, kind of the, um, the primary way of fasting is with food and drink. Because remember, sin entered the world through the mouth by Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit. It's a sign of their disobedience. And so we have to gain back uh, mastery over ourselves um, in what we eat and drink. And that is a powerful way of us becoming stronger in other areas of our lives. Right? If we use and abuse food and drink, well, it's going to be very easy for us to fall prey to other temptations in other domains. So um, I'd recommend that along with your prayer, as you make your meditation and you offer to the Lord some myrrh, you offer him some kind of a sacrifice, um, some kind of a suffering, maybe some, some kind of fasting in some way. Kind of you can offer up that fasting for various intentions and recommend among others if you would in your charity offer up the sufferings uh, um, offer up your your fast also for the good of the shrine for our restoration project for example we get all the funds we need to to keep moving ahead full speed ahead so we have adoration love and suffering in our prayer that we give to the lord just as the Magi gave the gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And I would say that um, a good guide to help you focus during meditation is to offer Christ spiritually these three gifts. So when you're, when you're praying in your mind, uh, and maybe you're getting distracted, you need some kind of little way to get your mind back on track, think of the three gifts, and just think at that moment, how are you going to adore God? What are you going to say to love Him? What kind of sufferings, what kind of sacrifices are you going to offer to him? So these three gifts um, are a good, a good guide for us in how we should pray. Now, there are so many benefits of making a regular meditation. Without prayer, without meditation, it's too easy for us to wander in life without a guide. And we can easily get lost in the dark night of ignorance. If we have no appointed time to pray, if we have no practical method for considering the great truths of our faith and what they mean to us, then the sooner or later we can allow ourselves to be carried away by a dissipation of mind or the harmful tendencies of the world. All too often we allow the clouds in the sky to kind of shroud that, that star um, so that we don't, we don't have that... Uh, that guiding light that we need. However, when we pray, when we meditate, then the star of faith guides and inspires us in our thoughts and actions, just like it did with the Magi. Meditation gives us deeper insights of faith to dispel doubt. Sooner or later in your life, you're going to have doubts. You know, our young people, as they grow up, like as they're teenagers, it's very common. They have doubts. And I always tell them, I say, you know what? It's a normal thing in life. It's a sign that you're called to a deeper faith. It's a sign that your faith is maturing um, and that you're growing up in the faith. But when we pray meditation, then we have uh, the deeper conviction. We receive the deeper conviction we need to dispel those doubts and to learn from them. Remember that actually the doubting Thomas of the resurrection actually uh, deepened his faith in Christ in the end. So it can be for us in our own doubts when we pray when we bring them to the Lord. Meditation gives us more hopeful confidence in time of discouragement. It gives us more love for the beauty of God's goodness. 
So meditation, we can grow in those three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. It's a great way of doing that. Meditation also makes us prudent. Meditation makes us prudent because it gives us considerations that we should take into account before we act. Remember that the goal of our life is heaven. We should settle for nothing less. And so we're on this journey following that star to Bethlehem. And the more we meditate, the more we look at that star, the more um, we know how to walk, the more we know how to avoid the pitfalls we meet on that journey every day and how to make the right decisions. So meditation really exercises our intellect and helps us to become more prudent. It gives us a certain wisdom. Meditation also helps us to conform our will to that of God. Meditation makes us strong by bringing us into contact with God's grace. It also, meditation helps us to be more temperate. It calms down the excesses of our passions, teaching us to live with our our reason and our will, rather than just kind of what we feel like doing according to our passions. So it makes sure we have the proper order in our life, that we are truly following that star that's going to get us to where we want to go. So there's no Christian virtue which cannot be acquired by daily meditation. It brings us such in, in such close contact with God's truth that we are freed from the mirages along the way in the desert. We are freed from the falsehood of sin's empty promises. Meditation makes us so that we're not dupe, so that we're not, um, what's the word, naive. Uh, but rather, um, it helps us to understand God's truth in our lives, and that truth sets us free. Free from uh, really the, the slavery of, uh, of our passions and the slavery of um, merely our, our, our whims and, and caprices. But meditation, it not only unites us to God, but it, it gradually transforms us to become God-like. Meditation transforms us to become God-like, kind of like a child who spends more and more time with his father or mother. Then that child um, starts to adopt more and more the ways of the parent. Right? I always like to see that. Sometimes you see in, in the children, you see the reflection of their parents and their mannerisms and so on because they spend time with them and they imitate them. Well, that's what we're doing in meditation. We are thinking more about Jesus Christ. We're thinking more about God and his perfections and his truth so that um, we kind of become like sponges to soak up God in a sense. Um, we become permeated with God throughout the fabric of our lives. We start to, to imitate uh, uh, the words of our Lord and our charity and our faith and so on. So, Meditation gradually helps us to become more God-like in that way. If we're, if we're really faithful to daily meditation, then in time, the conversation with God, those moments of meditation become more intimate. They become more, more tender. Uh, even we start to prolong them more because we want to spend more time in this conversation with God, our Father. And, this, and then this prayerful conversation in time, we start to find our minds going back to different parts during the day. Even in the midst of our activities, we start to remember the conversation we had with God in that prayer um, earlier in the day. Then we start to speak to him again, you know, later on in the day, almost by, almost by a, a certain reflex, 
like kind of like little children. They spend time with mom or dad and then they kind of go and they're doing their own thing. But then they keep like thinking, they keep coming back to mom and dad in a sense. And even do what mom or dad would do, uh, when, uh, you know, later on, further away, um, because they're, they're, you know, even though their parents aren't present, they do what mom or dad would do in this particular circumstance because it's become ingrained in them. It's become like second nature. So after a time, meditation can become, becomes easier, it becomes uh, more and more second nature. But that's not easy. And it takes years for that really to happen. It's a process. Remember the Magi kings, they entered, they encountered many difficult uh, obstacles on the way across, you know, the field and the fountain, the moor and the mountain. Um, so also will we encounter obstacles when we try to be faithful to daily meditation. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. First of all, um, you know, the first pit, uh, pitfall that people fall into is that, uh, like we mentioned before, they kind of just keep it, you know, intellectual. Uh, men especially kind of tend to do that. It kind of just becomes a, a, mere, uh, a, a mere sermon in your head sort of thing. A mere kind of intellectual kind of thinking. It's not a waste doing that, but, but, but it's really much more beneficial the meditation, uh, when it's done, when it has those affections of the heart, uh, then it's truly a, a supernatural uh, meditation. Remember that that's the most important part of the meditation, right? Acts of adoration, acts of thanksgiving, acts of love of God. Um, I would say second obstacle to meditation is the lack of generosity. The lack of generosity. So, um, the first obstacle I would say is a, is kind of a it's an obstacle to our intellect where meditation only stays up there. The next one is a is a, a defect of the will by which we lack a certain generosity. So um, we get discouraged because we don't always have consolations in prayer that God you know was giving us when we first started to pray. In the beginning, it's easy to pray. Uh, God really gives us many graces. He gives us a lot of joy in His prayer. But after a while, it gets harder. It's harder and, you know, it's not kind of as joyful as it was. It doesn't feel as good as it did. And so um, we lack the generosity. We lack the will to keep on going, to persevere. And that's, I would say, um, a second um, obstacle. But then um, I would say one of the, uh, like the main obstacle um, is... I would say distractions. Distractions are, you know, a big, a big obstacle to prayer. And um, I prepared for you a little, uh, little booklet I'll give to you here afterwards. Um, just a little kind of a compilation of quotes from St. Francis de Sales on prayer that, you know, come from a whole variety of uh, sources. Remember, he wrote Introduction to the Devout Life, Treatise on the Love of God. He gave conferences to the Sisters of the Visitation orally. He preached sermons. Um, he wrote many, many letters of spiritual direction, teaching people how to pray and dealing with people's problems and how and how they were praying. So um, I have a book that's uh, a great book here um, called Reflections of St. Francis de Sales on Living Jesus. And it's a little basically like a dictionary. Um, it goes in alphabetical order according to topic. And it really just gives quotes of St. Francis de Sales for all different types of topics. So like I look up D for distractions. And you have a couple of pages, at least, of quotes from different sources of the saint on distractions and how to fight them, how to overcome them. 
So it's a great book. Um, it's not really in print anymore, but you can find maybe, you know, those editions of books that are like photocopied. Um, I think you can still find it if you look on the internet. Uh, Reflections of St. Francis de Sales on Living Jesus. And um, what I took for you, what I made for you in this little booklet is basically just some quotes from that, um, that just kind of put together. Um, and one of them uh, deals with um, dealing with distractions. So there's some quotes in there on how to handle distractions. There's, there's uh, about, about two pages of quotes in here. I uh, just thought I would uh, put that in there to, to help you, to encourage you. But for now, um, I would just recommend that it's, it's not enough to drive off distractions in prayer. But if we want to really reduce the number of distractions, we have to attack their cause. And I think that many distractions proceed from a lack of preparation. From a lack of preparation. So we kind of come into prayer and um, we didn't take a moment to kind of calm down, calm, all soul, you know, calm down the soul, uh, enter into a certain silence. Just kind of take a deep breath and just kind of, um, you know, let, let the world outside, let it just, you know, it's outside. We shut the door on the world in a sense. Um, and then maybe we can focus our imagination on uh, a beautiful statue of our Blessed Mother or paint kind of a mental picture, maybe the stable of Bethlehem. And, and we kind of close ourselves there into this kind of mental picture. So um, if you prepare yourself in that way, then it kind of... Uh, nips the temptations in the bud for distractions, you know? So um, I think a lack of preparation is one reason why we often get distracted, or we simply allow ourselves a habitual dissipation of mind. We're always allowing our minds to go every which way in that without trying to rein them in ever. Um, so um, let's work on preparing ourselves for prayer. Um, and uh, thus it, we will uh, be able to uh, prevent distractions before they start. And of course, I refer, you, I refer you to other methods mentioned in this little book that I'll give to you here, um, here in a little bit. So we, we shouldn't be um, discouraged by the obstacles that come up. Remember that the Magi, when they came near to Bethlehem, the destination of their journey, they lost sight of the star. Remember that? Read very carefully St. Matthew's Gospel. They get close to Bethlehem and they lost sight of the star. Where did it go? It's gone. So they didn't know where to go, but they weren't too far away from Jerusalem, apparently, so they went to Jerusalem. And they inquired. They asked King Herod. Um, they learned from the priests the prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Then as they set out on the road to Bethlehem, the gospel tells us the star reappeared again and filled them with an exceedingly great joy. And the star then led them to the place where the Christ child was to be found. So in our own prayer life, we can experience the dark of night. The dark of night, which can obscure uh, the star of faith. Maybe we have trouble with distractions continuously. We find it hard to pray. A certain dryness in prayer. Or simply the clouds of life have hidden that star of faith from view. So when we lose sight of the star, we need, like the Magi, the Magi who went to the, uh, to the priests there in the temple, um, we need to go to scripture. We need to go to the saints. We need to do maybe some more spiritual reading. We can seek out spiritual direction from a priest or a confessor so that we can find that star again, so that we can again get back on the right path for that star of faith to lead us. So we can't always just trust in ourselves. 
Okay, we can't just, we don't have our own built-in GPS. No, it's not just us following that star. But really, we need guidance. Um, we can't just follow our, you know, our own light. We need to go to the church, go to the saints, um, sometimes go to the, the sacraments, go to spiritual direction, so then the Lord can lead us and help us to, to find that star so we can get back on the path when we don't know where to go. So until now, we've been talking about, you know, meditation as work. It's a step-by-step process, you know, like the Magi climbing the moors and the mountains, you know, on this journey to Bethlehem. But if we are faithful to meditation daily, or at least uh, several times per week, then meditation starts to become second nature to the point that there comes a time when the reasonings of our mind are somewhat suppressed. Because the convictions of our faith are so grounded in our soul that these convictions, these reasonings form um, sort of a habitual state in our mind. So we need very little time to really reflect, to do these intellectual considerations in prayer. But rather the pious affections of our heart spring forth readily and easily. So the Epiphany Collect tells us that the knowledge of faith will lead us to the contemplation of beauty. Sometimes we've been exercising this knowledge so much by meditation and prayer, uh, sometimes throughout the years, it becomes like second nature, it becomes almost like a habitual state of mind, that really we are brought to, to speak to God in, in words of love, uh, words of gratitude, all these different words, just kind of, um, it comes, it just comes. It comes so, so beautifully, so naturally almost. Um, it's like the saints, you know, they would, uh, uh, you know, they would, they would walk through the, the fields of flowers, for example, and they would see the beauty of that flower. They would think of how beautiful God is. And then they would immediately just speak to the Lord in long poems of love. They didn't have to think about, you know, point one, point two, point three, point four. You know, God's power is like this. It's like that. It's like that, like a theological manual. It just kind of came, just the love came so, 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 so readily, so easily and in such great abundance because um, their knowledge of faith had been made so strong by years and years of meditation. So, so let's remember that um, ultimately uh, we are called to contemplate God in heaven. We're meant to contemplate his divine beauty. And that is really what um, you could say the... Um, the, uh, uh, the, the, the climax, if you want, or the most perfect contemplation. It's in that vision of Christ face to face in heaven. We will see him like the Magi saw him in the manger face to face. We will see um, God in heaven. We call that contemplation of God's face in heaven the beatific vision. We will see this vision which makes us, be a, uh, which makes us happy, which makes us blessed, which fills us with more joy than we could possibly imagine. But in some way, this heavenly vision is in a small way reflected here on earth in, in a certain vision of contemplation. Kind of like a traveler who is able to catch a faraway glimpse of his destination out there on the horizon before him. It's like when we would walk the pilgrimage to Chartres in France. And on the second day, you're still many, many miles away. But on the horizon, you see just a little speck. I see that these two little towers on the horizon, very small. Um, and it kind of, it's kind of a contemplative moment. You kind of uh, you have this beautiful, uh, this beautiful vision there 
uh, that inspires you. So the soul which is faithful to daily meditation will probably eventually rise up to the level of contemplation. Contemplation. Contemplation is a higher level than meditation. St. Thomas tells us that contemplation is the act of the intellect which is superior to reasoning. Superior to human uh, to our reasoning. So we have basically two types, we could say, of, of uh, reasoning. Or, or I would say two, sorry, two, two types in the way that our intellect works. We have reasoning, okay, which means that we have to do step one, step two, step three, follow directions, carry out the instructions step by step, right? That's reasoning, point to point to point, and we come to the conclusion at the end. That's what meditation is, point by point by point, and we come to a beautiful conclusion. However, our intellect also has intuition. Yeah. Intuition, by which we can see something like all at once at a glance. We don't need to see all these different kind of step by step by step. We kind of see it all at once. You know, it's kind of like um, if, you're, uh, if you're watching a parade downtown, okay? St. Patrick's Day Parade, whatever. Um, you see, you're on the street level, you see float by float by float, of, you know, there in time. But if you're up in the Willis Tower, you see it all at once in one glance like this. So this is the two ways in which our mind works. We have reasoning, but then we have intuition. We can just kind of, we kind of see it, right? Like the angels. The angels don't reason. The angels don't reason. They don't need to. They see it all at once in their minds. The angelic intellect is intuitive intuitive. And we share in that a little bit. But because of the weakness of our minds, we need to go in the step-by-step process of meditation. Meditation takes effort. Our mind lingers over minute details in our minds, step-by-step, one-by-one. But contemplation is on a whole other level superior to that. Contemplation is a simple overall view of the truth. It's a simple loving gaze on God. Kind of like an artist um, who um, his gaze, you know, his or her gaze looks out over nature and just kind of takes it all in at once. Or our child. A child looks at um, his, his mother's face all at once and takes in all the goodness of the, of the various features of that maternal face. So in contemplation, prayer becomes simplified. You know, uh, meditation seems complicated. It is, because it gets step by step by step. But prayer becomes simplified in contemplation. So it's this intellectual gaze of intuition. After we've meditated for a long time, reasoning upon various truths of our spiritual life, these truths become to us more clear. They become more certain. So that one gla- at one glance, we can grasp them with ease and delight without the need of the work of a detailed analysis of reason. So it's like the idea of father applied to God, for example. So God is is our father. At the outset, we are kind of um, making lengthy lengthy reflections um, with our reason um, to try to understand exactly what does God's fatherhood really mean for me. You could write chapters, you could write a book on that, chapter by chapter. But after meditating for so long, you know, you get in the habit, it becomes like second nature. Well, this truth of God's fatherhood appears to us at a glance so rich, so fruitful, that we, we linger with this concept lovingly 
in order to delight in the various elements of that fatherhood of God for us, like all at once. We kind of see God as our father and we just, we just kind of, um, it becomes something, we just see it all in the glance, we possess it all at once. We see it, you know. It's like someone who's very good at maybe putting together a, a car. You know, all the different parts, you got the carburetor, the alternator, the motor, you got all these different things of how it works. Well, someone like me doesn't know how to fix cars. We need to follow the instructions. You got to look at some video. You got to see how to do it, right? You got to see how it works. But someone who really is a good car mechanic, we have at least one such person in this room, if not more, they see it all at once. At one glance, they kind of see how it all fits together in like one, one, one view. That's contemplation. That's contemplation. Not that a car mechanic's going to contemplate a car in the same way to <laughs> contemplate divine realities, but you get the idea. Our you get the idea. Does, does. Okay. <laughs> you get the idea. It's this, 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 um, the various acts of meditation are all fused together. They're simply fused together into a single act of contemplation. It's a, a loving, simple, fixed attention of the mind on divine things that we see in one glance. And it's, uh, it really um, uh, completely absorbs the soul for several minutes. But then that contemplation, it gives um, in the soul, and it's true contemplation, it gives birth in the soul to an attitude of generosity. Of generosity. Because we have this vision of God in contemplation, then uh, we're more, we are more mindful of God's presence in our lives. And our soul becomes more docile more and more to the action of the Holy Ghost. The more we are aware that God is leading and directing us, we say yes, readily. So it almost becomes like, we kind of like become the horse in a sense, and then God is, is at the reins, guiding that horse on the path. So contemplation doesn't just kind of like take us off into outer space um, by, you know, by just this, um, this absorbing um, intellectual gaze. But rather, contemplation leads us to really... Um, to do what God wants for us, to give us energy, to give us a strength to, uh, to accomplish the duties of our state in life, to accomplish acts of virtue. Contemplation gives a great generosity, even more than before, to, um, to serve the Lord. That's how the saints did wonderful things. St. Bernard, you know, would, he, uh, he preached a crusade. He wrote uh, marvelous uh, uh, books. He uh, went, um, uh, he did so many wonderful things. He was the counselor to kings and princes. He traveled uh, to councils. Um, look at St. Thomas Aquinas. He died when he was 49 years old. And he wrote all of these books. It's like, well, how did he do all of that? Well, he loved God so much. And he, he, saw, he had that, that vision of the Lord in contemplation. Because he was faithful to meditation, he was given the gift of contemplation. And that gave him such energy, such joy, such love, such strength to be able to um, to fulfill God's, God's will for him and to do such wonderful things for God. So meditation is excellent in its proper time and highly beneficial at the outset of the spiritual life. But after much fidelity to meditation over the years, the soul gradually puts aside reasoning in favor of a contemplation which keeps the soul at peace uh, which makes the soul attentive and docile to God and the operations of God. So um, the soul um, actively uh, prepares itself to receive the special inspiration of the Holy Ghost. 
That's what we're doing in meditation. We're cooperating with the Holy Ghost. We're preparing our soul to receive that, uh, that divine inspiration. And, the, and over time, we get better at meditation. Our soul is better prepared um, so that um, meditation is not necessary so much in the sense that we just um, we come to that, 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 that loving contemplation of God. It's like, um, the, it's like when a favorable wind is strong enough to make the boat advance across the water without uh, the rowers having, having to work and break their backs in rowing. Because um, we've really become good at meditation, that we are so prepared, our soul is so prepared, that God can give us more graces and God can give us that gift of contemplation to, to blow us along uh, the waters uh, to heaven. So St. Francis Sales says that meditation is the mother of the love of God. The more we really work at our meditation, it produces the love of God. But contemplation is the daughter of the love of God. Because uh, we love God, God gives us, um, we receive this gift of contemplation, by which we have th this intuitive uh, view of God, who God is. And, and thus, um, uh, meditation, you know, it produces love by the strain of difficulty. It's hard, like rowing the boat. But then love produces this admiration and this, and this pleasure of contemplation. Um, so the contemplation is this, it's this joy that comes from knowing God. But sometimes contemplation, and this, is, this gets very mystical in, the, you know, in the, the highest parts of mystical theology, um, contemplation can also have its, its dark hours. Uh, um, hours in the dark night in which the soul is eager for God, and the soul has tasted how beautiful it is to be in God's presence. But then the soul keenly feels that there is an absence of God. Um, and that the soul has this ardent desire to possess God, but God is somehow absent in a way. And so um, it's this, um, so there's this, there's this night there. The soul, soul loves God, but God is not there. It's a little bit, in a sense, a little bit like what the souls feel in purgatory. right? The greatest... Um, their greatest uh, suffering is that they have a sense of who God is from the judgment and so on. They know they're going to heaven, but they're not there yet. And they, they feel so keenly that absence of God. That can happen in contemplation. Um, that's one of the trials that God can, uh, can lead us along. But those are, that's very, it's really the heights of the spiritual life there. Very good. So um, contemplation is something we should all strive for. Right? It's kind of in the natural progression of our spiritual life. We meditate, and the more we meditate over time, over years, then we can come to contemplation. Um, contemplation, St. Francis Sell says, is the end, the purpose to which all spiritual exercises tend. However, he adds that we do not make this recollection of contemplation by choice. And so we should not be presumptuous to say, oh, I want to really contemplate, you know, so I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to write the book on contemplation one day. But no, um, it is not in our power to have contemplation whenever we wish. But contemplation, contemplation does not depend on our care. But he says, God produces contemplation in us when it pleases him by his most holy grace. So we have to be humble. We have to be humble to work in our meditation. And the more we work, the more we till the soil, then the more God in time sees that we become worthy of, 
of that um, gift of contemplation. And he brings us closer to himself. But as long as we're, we're dissipated, we're not generous, we don't take the time to meditate, you know, we don't really try, um, we allow everything else to crowd us, well, then we can't contemplate. We're not worthy of that gift. We're not ready for it yet. We haven't worked hard enough, you know, for it. And so we should, um, by our fidelity and meditation, work to receive one day that gift of contemplation, which God, which God freely gives to those um, whom he desires and who are ready for it. God can then choose to infuse this gift into whomever and whenever he wants, not always. We don't always, the saints did not always contemplate, but as time goes on in their progression to God, they, they would have that gift of contemplation more and more. So this is the teaching of St. Thomas, uh, the teaching of St. John of the Cross, the teaching of St. Francis de Sales. Contemplation is a fruit given by God to those who are faithful to the work of meditation. And the knowledge exercised by faith, especially meditation, it will eventually result and lead us to the contemplation of God's beauty in a certain smaller way here on earth already, but eventually to the contemplation of God face to face in heaven. So to encourage you um, in this little booklet of, of uh, quotes that I made for you, um, we talk about distractions, but also about kind of the, um, the method of meditation. And um, just want to read for you a very, as a conclusion, just a short little part to kind of encourage you. Um, you know, talking about contemplation is a very kind of very highly, very high spiritual, um, you know, we're in the heights of the spiritual life there. It's a very lofty ideal uh, that we strive for. Uh, but it's within our grasp if we are faithful and if we are humble. And if we, in a, in a very humble way, ask God for it according to his holy will. But it's, it's encouraging to know that even the saints who practiced all of this, they began in a very humble way. St. Francis Sills writes this letter to an abbess, an abbess of a convent. He says, regarding meditation, I beg you not to distress yourself if sometimes and even very often you do not find consolation in meditation. Go quietly on with humility and patience. Do not, on this account, do violence to your spirit. Use your books when you find your soul weary. That is to say, read a little and then meditate. And then pick up the book and read again a little and then meditate until the end of your half hour. St. Teresa of Avila acted like this in the beginning. And she said that she found it to be a very good plan for herself. And since we are speaking in confidence... I will add that I have also tried it myself and found it good for me. So take it as a rule that the grace of meditation cannot be gained by every effort of the mind, but there must be a gently and earnest perseverance full of humility. And all too often, I think that's why we, we kind of give up on meditation, because we thought we could do it ourselves, you know. We thought, well, I could just keep trying harder and harder, and I'll be able eventually to, to do it. Well, you do need to try harder and harder, but you have to ask God for the help you need. Again and again, ask Him for the help. My Lord, help me to meditate well. Help me to give you this prayer of adoration as you deserve. Um, in this kind of humble way, um, that's how... Um, the Lord gives us that gift of meditation and eventually contemplation. So, um, are there any questions about this we talked about today? Is this 
something kind of helpful, useful, different. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about in the last couple of times we met, we talked about uh, making good resolutions and focusing in, on, uh, uh, focusing in on particular good resolutions. We talked before about making an examination of conscience and so on. But really, um, the heart of the spiritual life is really it's prayer. And prayer gives us the energy to do those things, the examination of conscience and to carry out a resolution. Prayer gives us the energy we need for that. Um, so that's why it's very helpful for us today to really focus in on this new year, on how to pray, to pray better, so that we can be sustained in our journey. Uh, you know, Major, I've come to the end of their journey. We, we keep on going, right? Year round, year round, year after year, eventually till we reach heaven. So, yes? Um, um, in the very beginning, you know, the intellect of the step by step by mm -hmm. step. Okay, so how do we get started? How we get started? Yes. Books you recommend? Yes, I think the introduction to the devout life is very good. Um, it's in the, the first part. He, he gives you actually these ready-made meditations. He explains how to make that meditation. Um, I think that's a great place to get started. Um, and then, um, you know, pick up another book that you find very uh, inspirational for you. It could be a chapter from the Gospel. It could be um, maybe another book by St. Francis de Sales. Um, just simply pick up a book and um, start to um, you know read it, and then as you come to know God, speak to Him about it. You know, also according to the liturgical seasons. So you can pick up a book. There's a great book, for example, by uh, Blessed uh, Don Marmion, who is a um, Blessed Don Columba Marmion, uh, called um, Christ and His Mysteries on the uh, various seasons of the liturgical year. And he gives us some good um, insight into every one of those seasons and can kind of help us to kind of jumpstart our uh, spiritual uh, meditation in conjunction with the liturgy. So I recommend that. Um, but, you know, in prayer, and as you read, um, we're going to have 15 minutes of silence during the, the benediction here, the, the adoration after this. Um, you can maybe pick this up and kind of think about these different quotes. But St. Francis tells is talking about how in prayer, really, in meditation, um, the system is there to help you, but, you know, it's not you who are helpful to the system. In other words, um, when, you know, you should follow the attractions of your soul. So when you really prepare well, you ask God for inspiration, you ask him to help you to make a good meditation, you start to read, and then as, you, as you're reading these considerations, then you start to um, kind of, um, you want to talk to God about something. Sometimes you only read like one or two sentences, and then like you want to talk to the Lord. Like, wait a minute, I just got started, and i got to read this whole chapter, but I just got started. But you feel like you want to talk to the Lord. Well, that's great. Put down the book. Put down the book and talk to him, because that's really the heart and soul of meditation. It's not just trying to read a quantity, right? Uh, but it's really talking to the Lord about what you read. So, so different days will be different. So follow that attraction. Maybe, you know, uh, reading this particular book is good for you, but not this other one. Um, so that's fine. The Lord is leading you in these different ways. Um, so just be attentive there and don't be afraid to try to try something. Thank you. Does that answer the question? Yes, okay. Anything else? Okay. Okay, we're very good. Well, we're going to beginning. Uh, we're going to be beginning the novena in preparation for the feast of Saint Francis de Sales. That feast day is on uh, January 29th. So the novena begins on January 20th. So I would encourage you to uh, say a prayer to St. Francis de Sales every day, either prayer that you can find or perhaps um, 
either the litany of St. Francis de Sales, which is in the, uh, uh, the booklet we'll pray at Adoration, or maybe part of that litany, um, asking for maybe um, the grace you need to meditate better, to put into practice all the things he wrote about. It'd be a good time during, the, during that novena to ask for that grace. Um, and there will also, um, let's see, we're also, uh, I encourage you to always to uh, check out the website we have for the Society of the Sacred Heart, society-sacred-heart.org. It's a lot of uh, things up there on that website, a lot of resources there. Um, at the same time, um, uh, our retreat is coming up in May. It's May um, 26th to 28th. May 26th to 28th of this year. And the one from next year, in 2018, is um, June um, June 8th to the 10th that year. And June 8th is actually the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So they're on the line. So uh, 2017 and 2018. Okay? Okay. I'd also ask you, please, uh, especially to remember our sisters in prayer. We were were very uh, grateful to have our sisters visit us, four of them here, in early December. Uh, There'll be some sisters receiving uh, the habits uh, on the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, which is in March, on on March the 7th. So keep them in prayer. Um, And uh, also, we will be having our next meeting sometime in Lent. Uh, I'll be fixing the date soon um, so that uh, we can talk in two months' time, kind of give you some... uh, some spiritual help during Lent, and looking for feedback. What do you want? What do you want to hear about? What's helpful for you? What um, what kind of thing helps you in your spiritual life? Are there questions you have, or things aren't clear, or um, just you know, feel free to send me feedback about topics we could address. Um, maybe even during Lent we can address a couple different ones or something um, in one talk. You know, so um, so really, you know, give me your feedback, please. Let me know what you think. Um, either by an email or, or in discussion or whatever. Give me a call, whatever you, you think is helpful. Um, and uh, let's see. And then, uh, so remember in March, we have the Feast of St. Thomas, March 7th. Also, St. Benedict, his feast day on uh, March the 21st, another one of our patron saints to keep in mind. And finally, um, in the next, uh, the next few weeks, um, <laughs> At long last, I've been trying to get things in, in position by which we can also, um, uh, we really need some, uh, I think, some fresh and new uh, leadership uh, in, the, in the Society of the Sacred Heart nationally. You know, so I was given years ago this task of being the chaplain for the Society, and I've been really, especially in recent times, haven't been able to really keep up as much as I would like to. And, um, but um, I think uh, I've kind of moved things where there'll be one of our canons will soon be able to do that. Um, so just keep that in prayer. Uh, it's been some time coming because we've been trying to make, free him up to do this. Um, but of course, um, here, here uh, locally, I'll be continuing these, uh, these reflections here locally. But on a national basis, um, uh, there'll be another canon uh, that will be coming out soon. But don't put that like on your Facebook page and all that yet. <laughs> but, you know, it'll be coming out soon. So just say, say a prayer for that. So we need to, you know... One day, I hope you know we can divide more and more tasks. Once all these priests get ordained, we can give them you know all these tasks, so they're not all kind of bunched up. And you know, sometimes it makes it makes a little bit of a bottleneck for us to to you know to get things done. But in time, we can divide all the tasks. More priests to go around, more hats, more heads to wear different hats. Then we can uh, 
uh, things can progress. So uh, thanks for your prayers because they are working and they are helping in a big way to help things to, to move along in the Institute, also with our project here. Very grateful. And um, any final thoughts or questions? Sharing? Yes. Just, you know, um, there's been so many inspirational stories of what have occurred at the shrine. Mm -hmm. And somehow, to put that in perspective and document it, you know, little miracles or inspirational mm -hmm. thoughts from the faithful from the shrine, uh, compiled by different people, experiences that we've had that could mm -hmm. be built up because as the shrine grows, as the institute grows, people tend to forget things if they're not documented. But I really think there should be some type of a compiling of things mm -hmm. that somebody would like to write and put in a, a small booklet of some kind because mm -hmm. um, something that is uplifting not only to us but also to the future of the shrine. Mm -hmm. Wow, well that's that's a good insight. So, um, yeah, how to share uh, beautiful stories of grace is received here at the shrine. Well, we started that uh, a few years ago when we did the offerings uh, for Infant King, the infantkingofferings.org website. There's an ex-voto page on that website you can visit. Um, maybe if you've been to Europe, you might have seen in some sanctuaries, uh, you'll find what's called an ex-voto. So it's a little image. Um, it could be a little plaque that says thank you on it, uh, merci, like in, uh, in, in France. Or it could be a little picture of a grace received. Sometimes, like in Germany, you'll find a little picture of somebody being run over by a tractor. And then you see, like, you know, um, our, our Blessed Mother up above kind of shedding her, her grace. And then this person is, is saved. You know, this person is able to get better again. So you have these ex votos that are uh, ways of thanking God. And so we thought, well, why don't we make a little ex voto wall, um, digital wall on our website to thank the infant Jesus for graces received through our novena, through prayers here at the shrine. And so there's about, um, I think there's about 70 of them up there. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Uh, infantkingofferings.org, ex-voto page, and they have little images there. And you click on that image, then it's just a little, it's maybe uh, just a sentence or two up there. Uh, but it's just something, you know, thank you for, to the infant king for my new job. Thank you for deliverance from addiction. Thank you for um, health for my, for my son or daughter, for example. Or um, just thank you for a particular private grace. So um, there's about, um, it's about 80 or 90 up there. So I think um, in time be good. I think it'd be good in time to yeah develop that more in some way um, to tell those stories if people you know want to share them. Uh, but and I think that well for every story that's shared, well there's probably at least one or you know two, three, four, how many that are private that people would just want to kind of keep to their hearts for you know the, for reasons that they have. So um, that kind of does exist a little bit already in that next voto page. Has anybody seen that page before? Looked at it. Yeah, it's really it's really beautiful. InfantKingOfferings.org. There's different tabs, and click on the ex voto tab. It explains what an ex voto is, and then it kind of um, tells you. Uh, well, sometimes I I look at that. Um, I like to look at that. It's uh, it's encouraging. But maybe in the future we could find a way to. Uh, yeah, find a way to to glean some more of those stories, in in more detail maybe. Any other thoughts? All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, please make sure that on your way out that you pick up uh, one of these um, little booklets. There's going to be um, 15 minutes of silence during the adoration. We begin with our uh, Immaculate Conception Novena Prayer. Um, and then 15 minutes of silence. You can maybe uh, use, uh, so you could read some of these texts, think about it if you want, or simply go right to the affections if you want and pray to, to God from your heart during that time.
Um, and then I'll be in the confessional afterwards if you have a question, or of course for confession, or if you have a question about a spiritual matter, I'll be there in the confession afterwards. And soon I'll be emailing all of you um, about a date uh, for our Lenten uh, recollection. Um, and of course, everyone's always invited you know, to these meetings. So if you know, if you know someone interested more in the Institute of Christ the King and our spirituality, uh, please feel free to, you know, they're very welcome to come. Um, even if they might, you know, belong to another uh, third order, uh, if they just like to come and try to get some kind of spiritual benefit from this, they're very welcome to. Uh, so um, that is here. And also, please remember during adoration, all the people who couldn't be here got some nice emails from people. Uh, you know, if somebody had a, 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 an exam for a job she had to do today, so she couldn't be here. Or, um, you know, some other uh, people, they live at a distance, uh, quite a, you know, a long distance, somebody else was sick. Um, so uh, think of, about spiritually, all the people who couldn't be here, and lift them up in prayer as well during, during this adoration. That's what it's about. So uh, please pick up this before you leave. And again, if the society is very new for you, you're welcome to pick up that introductory handout over there um, as well. So let's finish with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Amen. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. St. Francis de Sales. Pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas. Pray for us. St. Benedict. Pray for us. St. Teresa of the Child Jesus. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.